So the notes that you know we were listening through the uh, the conversation, we were editing it up, and the question that I think we have to ask ourselves honestly is, what does digital sculpting have to do with battling with bits of rubber? Because we keep cropping up with this, but I think it's one of those we're going to have to accept that it's inescapable uh, fact of life is that the digital stuff is making such a big impact on practical effects in in a good way. Yeah, I think digital it's, it's and practical are going to be integrated in such a way in the not too distant future. You know. I think yeah. in no time um, it's going to be it's just going to be the way it is yeah. and it's already it's because already it's showing up that way um, you know with Bill Corso's um, company uh, you know he's got a he's got a digital d- digital makeup group is the name of, of that company um, Masters Effects uh, has digital in-house now um, ADI sure. Rick Baker is becoming quite the digital guru mm-hmm. uh, in his can't say retirement because he's he's probably as busy as he's ever been but doing yeah. his own stuff and digital has become a huge part of that I mean ZBrush is going to be as much a, a part of makeup effects educational programs as teaching clay sculpting and mold making stuff i think it's it's inevitable i think so it's yeah it's it's inevitable but what i found interesting as well is that the amount of places that have traditionally taught makeup and continue to do so don't really have like a backlog of digital education they can lean on to bring into their curriculum because i mean there are a few places i know like um yeah. obviously bolton are big into this and they've been doing it for a while uh, university of wolverhampton as well they have a great um, Instagram page where they're posting things, and Falmouth is doing it. Yes, you know, Brad, Brad Greenwood comes comes in from a digital. Uh, I don't say his background, but he is, is as much a digital yeah. guy as he is a practical guy. I think, and it's 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 interesting because the there there are sort of fundamental things that. Like, for example, when we were doing that makeup together, there were certain things I just didn't have time to figure out. Like, you know, we've got our scan and it was a great scan, but there were holes in it. And I'm like, I don't know how to fill those holes. You know what I mean? So it's like that, that, that's mm-hmm. a fundamental thing, but it's not necessarily something a sculptor would know about because they're not really worried about scale and things like that. So it's a weird, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, like, it's like when you have a, a life cast that you've taken, you know, you've got to clean it up. You know, you clean away, you shave off the eyebrows and all that kind of stuff, and you shave back the right. hair. And the, that's, that, that's a sort of a sculptural thing, but it's not, it's not really a sculptor's job. It normally happens in the mold room. Do you know what I mean? So there's, mm-hmm. there's these sort of weird hybrid jobs that have traditionally been plastering or mold making or working with clay that are going to be done digitally now, and the digital people haven't necessarily had to clean up data of scan stuff really or if they did that was a separate department it wasn't the person that was going to be yeah, sculpting and it, so and it, who knows it, it may evolve into that anyway um that that it becomes that you know in animation you have people who are de- doing cleanup basically um going from uh, when the, the drawn images to, to inking stages you know there's a lot of cleanup that has to that that's why you look at the, the the number of people working on an animated feature because mm. there's a just a 
an incredible amount of work that goes into doing that kind of stuff and it and it may work out that it happens in our field as well that mm. somebody will sculpt something um, in ZBrush or they'll take a digital scan in and somebody who's specializing in cleaning up those scans does that and isn't actually doing the sculpting per se you know adding skin texture and whatnot is their job is cleaning up um, holes in a scan <laughs> which doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun if you pardon the expression um, but no, yeah but 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 again you know some people might dig that kind of stuff yeah it's interesting because this it just it just occurs to me like um, like I found like there's a job I'm doing at the moment where I'm using ZBrush to do something quite specific and it's sort of sculptural but not not in the sense that it's a sculptor's problem I'm just gonna achieve the things I need sculpturally because otherwise you know, it's it, it's not a, a, an easily repeatable or transferable process. Can't talk about it because yeah. ND data, but it's one of those things where it's like, so I'm going to try this. And so I've looked at like painting tutorials and I've looked at various other bits and bobs and I piece together what I think I need to do. And then I discover a new thing in ZBrush that I didn't know. Like today I found about Target Morph. I learned about what that was. And, and I thought, oh, that's sort of what I want to do, but not really. And then working in layers and like, oh, you can paint in layers. That's handy. So I'm going to use... Are you watching tutorials? I am uh, watching tutorials, but only very short ones. Because what I find I'm doing is I'm piecing together odd things that are not necessarily related in order to achieve what I need to do which is quite weird, but I just happen to be using ZBrush to do it. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of, mm -hmm. it's very hard, and I found that it's, it's difficult to know how to articulate the question. And I've had similar, I remember similar things when I started doing, like when I was trying to sell um, the e-course, the e you know, on, on my website, like 12 years ago, 10 years ago, whenever I started doing that. And there was a guy that knew about, um, like online shops and I was going to get him to help me on my website he had no idea about how to do downloadable content because at the time it wasn't that big a thing and so although he knew how to sell t-shirts online he didn't know about you know how to process automate digital downloads and stuff and it's like obviously now that's that's commonplace and it's built into you know things like Squarespace or Wix websites you can buy those as things but it's just like right. but that's because lots of people are doing it but there was a time and so I feel we're, like we're sort of on the outlier bit now where we're trying to sort of figure out how to do something digitally that would otherwise always have been done practically. And it's almost like the digital sculptors are not necessarily much use because they know about sculpting, but none of them have had to make a specific size shell that had to fit on a person because that was always the mold maker's job. Do you know what I mean? So right. it's quite an interesting one. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that process. It feels a little bit like the Wild West. And then you sort of find something you find a tutorial that's sort of close and then you kind of go this is like the only one that I can find on this but surely yeah well it's how you know because you comes back to you know how how important experimentation and just trying things out is to working in our business yeah everything we do originally started out as somebody thinking what if I tried this mm. and it either works or it doesn't and you try something else and yes and you find find that find that thing that that does exactly what you need it to do and then you find something else that augments that and presto you've got a whole new workflow for creating something yeah no i think you're right i think that's because i think there's a lot of um, sort of a desire to kind of just find a, 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 a pre-existing process and learn that process whereas a lot of this is kind of just figuring shit out and piecing stuff together and 
there are big chunks of time where you kind of feel like you're in the wilderness and you're not really getting anywhere particularly but you you yeah. strangely sort of led on continually like zbrush like literally in the last couple of years i've started to be able to use it but i've had it for about 10 12 years i bought my copy like 10 12 years ago it's taken me that i've chipped away a little bit of time then he gets scared and i, I leave mm-hmm. it for six months and 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 the distance between me leaving it after being frightened is shortening to like you know, a few hours now so now i can actually come back yeah, oh no i was i was <laughs> terrified when i first started working with it and to the point where I, I try a few things and just get frustrated and things now that used to cause lots of profanity i now know how to because you know, someone something would lock up on the on the on the, on the page mm. and it's like how the hell do i get rid of this yeah and th- there's some simple control in boom clears it yeah ah yeah because it's weird no. isn't it and you have to kind of simple things yeah and one one thing but, i found but there's nowhere you can look anywhere to find that no on a menu this that says how to clear something that's frozen on your screen yeah press this button yeah uh, it's, it's weird because there's so many weird artifacts and things that happen that i don't know how to describe it and so often it'll be like well i'm just going to fire up camtasia and then record what i'm doing and then point out do you see that thing there why is that happening and how do i stop it so i can send that to someone that i know <laughs> and hassle them with you know a five minute video because there's no other way of explaining it um but anyway yeah. it's 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 getting there i think but i it, it made me realize that you know there's a lot of ground to be made up and there's a few people we want to talk to i'd love to chat to somebody from wolverhampton we have to get in touch with them uh, and there's a really cool company called backface studios a guy called tim millwood there who i've been put in touch with um through some folks at bolton so i'd love to get in touch with cool. him because uh, you know they, they they also do a lot of scanning and a lot of digital stuff and they're very very good people to talk to and i think they would be very good at explaining in a way that i just wouldn't be able to do it succinctly um you know how print how scanning is working and what it can do for people and and, and all that kind of stuff because a lot of this is just like yeah, well, what thank, i think thank goodness then, for for people people like that and for people like maddie mm-hmm. spencer who has made zbrush so less formidable yeah and the and the boltons the boy you know we we got so much info in bolton that we've got to do two episodes for it yes we got two so this is just part one where we're talking about visual effects and practical effects and how they work together and there was a lot of good information there that that um that richard who teaches the visual effects side of things is there because there's rick and there's richard and so that they're both mm-hmm. there so it's quite confusing so you have to call one richard one rick uh, one richard and one rick um but it's uh it is interesting to see how they work together and that's what i really liked about bolton is that they make those things work together and Richard's particularly good at dismantling my fear of the separation between the two and he always brings it back to you know how important that practical information is and how much that hands-on information is and just because you don't know how to code or you don't know how to do this isn't it doesn't matter it's still sure, what well, you can do is still that's relevant where it all originated yes but it, it's still you know, relevant it started out as practical tangible physical things mm-hmm. that digital just it's sort of crept in you know like like a water leak yeah until boom it was this thing and now it's this thing and there's still a a gray area um i remember we were talking about um you know how i noticed when i made the the switch from from digital from visual effects to practical effects that the practical people don't have any secrets you know they're they're not uh, afraid to to share their hard work 
with other people and you know obviously everyone would prefer you to get in the trenches and get your hands dirty and figure thing try to figure things out yourself mm-hmm. and then ask for help if you if you can't but you know there are no secrets in our in our business and the visual effects people are not as forthcoming with their secrets as the practical people and and as uh richard pointed out correctly i think a lot of that has to do with workflow Mm. um that it's not going to be the same the pipelines are different from from studio to studio yes though the the steps you go you have to go through from from a to z are the same there are going to be nuances that that make it different so that sharing sharing secrets from one shop's figuring out how to do do something might not work in another shop's pipeline yeah the same way yeah well that's interesting and i think because obviously where we're coming at it from the pipeline is quite a short one because we don't slot into a visual effects arena necessarily although obviously things you could do practically go could go out filter out into the the digital you know the visual effects field but i'm I'm just stoked that I'm using ZBrush and printing to do things that I would otherwise be doing practically more accurately and more efficiently. You know, even this print, it's taking a hundred hours possibly. It's like four whole days to print yeah. or more than that, you know, but, but the point is I'm but think doing other things. things. You can get done other things. Exactly. I'm doing other things. I've got another printer printing something else. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm sculpting up something else at the same time. And then, you know, tidy up my workshop and, doing my taxes and all this is happening whilst that print is happening so it's not like I'm sitting there drumming my fingers and and th- that whole roll of, of filament I think was like 50 quid you know and it's going to be it's a 3 kilo roll and I've used probably a kilo on this head and it's taken that long yeah it comes so. back down to our discussion about what's your time worth yeah exactly so it's quite amazing that you can do it obviously you need the time to build that in but like you know printers will get quicker over time or you might even outsource the actual printing to a company that do the printing but you still need to be able to prepare the object for printing and so, you know, to be familiar with it is no bad thing, you know, just like being able to ride yeah. a horse 300 years ago. I mean, it, it just it makes sense. You know, if that's how you get around and you can't do that, you're at a disadvantage. So, um, so there we go. Uh, I'm excited about this one. It's very good. But th- yeah, there are those guilty benefits of using digital tools, especially for us practical people <laughs> but, uh, uh, or impractical if you're not going to use it because it is eminently sensible. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's all going to eventually it will it will all be moot. It will all all blend into one thing yeah i think you're right that'll be one of those things anyway uh we're waffling on and i hope we (laughs) and i and i have a feeling it's going to happen pretty quickly yes Uh, yeah the landscape's changed we'll be able to see it yeah yeah we saw this coming (laughs) (laughs) well i think we should let uh bolton explain uh all this much better so let's go over to uh our first episode or first part one of episodes with Bolton. So the acoustics are a little bit different, so I'm going to try and speak loudly and clearly to compensate for the echoey room, because normally I have a microphone right here. So. Yeah. so I'm going to have to do what I hate doing, which is speaking very loudly. So I've quietly spoken, which is cool. Well, the fan just went off, so it'll be a little easier. I remember the AC. Thank you. It's going to get real warm in here. So, so just wake me up when I fall asleep. I remember that last year. I think it automatically turns on after a few minutes. I think you meant you smelled last year. So here we are in Bolton. 
Yes, uh, we're in Bolton, and we've had a good time. Actually. Stop really number three on yeah. my UK tour this year, starting off in Falmouth uh, last week, then Coventry over the weekend for the prosthetics event, and now up in sunny Bolton. For a two-day yeah. stint with uh, the special effects and makeup effects and visual effects programs and. I don't know about you, Stu, but I'm having a great time. No, I'm having a great time. It's not going to be much warmer in Guildford, to be honest with you, man. So just brace yourself for that. It's going to be Sorry, I'm, I brought warm clothes. Yeah. So the reason we wanted to have a chat was we wanted to talk about a few things that we saw crop up. I think there was a, when we were speaking to Jake Garber, there were some very good questions mm -hmm. that kind of started us rolling, <clears throat> talking about stuff. Um, and I know uh, things change over time and, and, and different... Uh, courses and different things or they, they bring different things out in people and the industries are different um, and one of the questions that was asked was about confidence and we were talking to Jake Garber a lot about being on set and supervising stuff on set um, because when you go to makeup school you learn the process of how to make things but then when they're made they go on set now it's a completely different world now you might have 50 people in makeup and suddenly one of the examples I brought up because I've seen it is you've got a group of people like you know 50 people in makeup and like the five at the front are really good detailed makeups because they're the close-up they're the ones that have rehearsed and practiced then there's 10 behind that because they're further away from the camera so there's more of them but they're smaller in frame so they can afford to be slightly less complicated makeups because it's cheaper to do that and then you go to the deep background and they might be masks or they might be quick paint jobs or whatever but then not, suddenly not designed to be seen not designed to be seen and then suddenly someone has a good idea to stick a steady cam in there and just run around the backs of everyone who's at the back <laughs> and now things that were never meant to be seen close up are seen close up so a set supervisor is someone who goes no or you can do that but it's going to cost you a fortune to fix it in post and have you checked if that's okay because i know that happens a lot where people just sort of push things to the back and then suddenly filming's done principal photography is done and then it's left to the visual effects department to pick up the pieces it can be terrifying for the visual effects department. <laughs> that, that and that's not good yeah, yeah and, and unrewarding as well because it's not the work that they're passionate they signed up for if you get what i mean it's yeah. sort of like off to, almost an afterthought like which isn't isn't the perfect workflow there's more efficient ways of doing it which i think bring the best out of each area of, yeah. of film effects and that's important to try and maintain wherever possible yeah yeah so we have the, the, those two distinct things that i think we wanted to talk about one was was confidence and how you take the things you know and then make them work in industry because you've got obviously a workplace that you're taking part in and like Jake for example is a, is a good example of someone who's quite tall he's a big guy he's got quite a deep voice I know he was saying because of the smoke mm -hmm. effects but that he was he does have but a deep voice he, anyway. he has a presence on set which typically your set supervisor will and not everyone can do that I'm not set supervisor material at all but if I see something I'll mention it to the set supervisor because there's a hierarchy in place so just generally talking about the confidence and I thought you guys might yeah, well, what a goes good in team. with the, the self-confidence is standing up for yourself. Yeah. Uh, being able to, you know, it's, and you have that right. Yeah. Don't let people walk all over you, particularly if you not speaking up in the moment about a camera not being uh, being in a place where it really shouldn't be, and it's showing non-hero makeup in a hero shot. Sure. That's going to wind up costing production a lot of money if like, if it if it slips by and nobody says anything about yes. it they the shot winds up being unusable or they have to reshoot it which yes. 
either way is going to be an expensive mistake. It's expensive, but it might make you look bad if they think you did that bad makeup. So you need to kind of note as you go along mm-hmm. in your call sheet what was done so that you know, you know, that's an example. And also, if you knew it was happening and didn't say or do anything about it. Yeah. But you meant that this is where the confidence thing is because you may not feel like you do because you just find yourself on set and you're not necessarily, that's why you'd have a set supervisor though as a yeah. go-between. Because thing. there's a hierarchy you need to follow. You don't want to step on people's toes because yeah. even though you're doing the right thing, it could wind up costing you your job. Yeah. But so, so you got the confidence thing, but that was the question that asked a much broader thing was generally speaking, like if you don't feel confident, like you might be creative, maybe very capable, but you don't feel confident or you feel reluctant to kind of put yourself out there. So I think that would be a good discussion to have with people who are in the process of learning who may feel in that place. Right. So it's like, how do you, how do you do it? How do you, how do you, what can you do practically to accumulate confidence? Where does that come from? Because obviously over time you get more confident as you get older, but the stepping stones, and I guess the best way to do that, maybe think of things that you've done where your confidence kind of crept in. And the other thing we wanted to talk about, because Richard's here, was to talk about how the visual effects stuff combines with practical stuff. Because a lot of, I've seen a lot of makeup schools that don't know anything about visual effects because they're very invested with makeup. We were talking about this in the ZBrush chat this morning, how like if you wanted to know how to do a nose or a wig or you know, a pair of ears or something, there's lots of examples that you can draw on from 50, 60, 100 years worth of experience and lots of different ways that can be done. Whereas if you're saying, I want to do this particular thing and I've got to do it in ZBrush and I have to try and make a thing because I'm going to print it and I'm going to mold it, that's a very weird thing that you wouldn't have done 10 years ago. Mm. But it's quite a new thing. So there's not a lot of people that know extensively lots of ways to do that. There might be someone that's figured it out, but they're not necessarily going to tell you or there's not a lot of information about it. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of a bit of a mixed bag. So there's quite a, a dip, a, a, a mixture of how visual effects is visual effects and practical, practical. And they're sort of starting to cross over more Thankfully, because now you can, you can yeah, print stuff. Yeah. You know, I spent, I spent over a decade as a visual effects animator before switching into, into the practical world. We've, we've had this conversation before. And what I have found how the visual effects world has differed from my perception, uh, being in both from the practical effects world, is that the visual effects community is not as willing to share how they got from point A to point B as uh, the makeup effects folks are, largely in part due to Dick Smith, who never believed in secrets. Visual effects expended a lot of sweat and effort to figure these things out and they're not about to just give that away. Mm-hmm. I've, I've found them to be very protective of their work, so different shops wind up reinventing the wheel from, from show to show because they're not, they haven't been willing to share those experiences and their pain to, to gain that experience and those solutions if that makes sense. Yeah. Have you seen that to be the uh, case in any way? It's a combination. There is definitely a, a factor of that going on. And, and here at the university, we try and sort of make it a space where knowledge can move between any area. Of I think in an educational we, environment, yes, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. But in the other problem you have in the larger commercial um, VFX houses is that their pipelines, the way they work, are customized. So they're completely developed by an R&D team that invest hours in writing something to work in a particular way. That's often governed by a supervisor um, for that show. 
and they think this is the best way that this can work and then those tools will stay with that company. So the way that they do hair, they might have a system that's unique that you would never know anywhere else. Like if you join that company, they would understand that you could not do a hair groom simulation using their software because you'd have never met it before. Yeah. So you have to take the skills that you've got that you've proven on your showreel and your application and reinvent yourself in line with the way that company works. So there's barriers to knowledge on, on both those fronts. They're very protective of that knowledge. And you can't just pick up someone else's piece of software because it's different to the way that you work. But when you have hundreds of artists working on these shows, these, these pipelines make incredible efficiencies. So when everyone is singing from the same hymn sheet, it works amazingly. But then when you change shows or when there's a turnover, like that can then be a barrier, like you're saying, right. where there's that protectiveness of knowledge or that sort of incompatibility of knowledge, which, mm. which makes the process less efficient, like, right. if that makes sense. So yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's quite strange in VFX that two companies can be doing almost exactly the same thing on the same show, but they have different pipelines. The way their data is moving through the work, that show is different and it's not necessarily compatible. Like, well, that fits perfectly so. in line with kind of my mantra, there's at least a half dozen ways to do everything. Exactly. Sure, but yeah. when you've got one system working together to produce something that they need to be kind of, you know, uh, that one thing, that's interesting. And that's not necessarily something that practical people would know about if they're not involved in the visual effects, which is why I think what you do here is quite important. Because you're so close to each other, you can say that to people who are making things. Yeah. You know, it's not a completely unfound thing. Whereas I know of makeup schools I've taught at where there's none of that. But they'll know about, you know, Marcel waves and, and, and yeah. you know, various other intricate makeup things, which is great. But also it's like, yeah, but what if you're going to do hair in, you know, digitally? Is there a problem? And you could talk to someone here about that. Yes. Which um, is great. We, I think that's why so many of the staff that have, that have joined here have stayed here and, and flourished here, if that makes sense. It's because like, we, we all believe in what each other does and, and we just learn mm. so much from it. Like I just came into this sort of community only really understanding VFX and I've been on set a handful of times for you know much smaller productions than some of these guys and it was a great experience but I learned so much when I came here so I mm. you know so, some people with education they sort of feel that if you come in as an academic it's because you couldn't survive in the real world like you know it when you come into this environment that's where a lot of my learning started to expand in in directions that it hadn't in industry and you know sometimes in industry you can get pigeonholed because you're so good at something and that's that okay we just want you for that let's just repeat doing it knocking it out again you know and here you can move around you can change and you can share which we 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 find absolutely fantastic and it it does mean that our students that are doing vfx are very aware of of the practical elements we're doing a project with a light cinema at the moment where we're digitally producing visualizations for spaces that the model makers will then take the signed off plans for and make the models so those spaces become real if that makes sense so you know very similar to a set workflow but in actually a slightly different industry well, but that was my impression just walking in this building this has much more a working studio feel than an educational environment oh to me awesome. Yeah, it's a very industrial. Those workshop yeah. areas are just uh, yeah. like no, the this, great. You know, if you if you could draw up a workshop that's this, perfect, this, you know. <laughs> you know well, this, so that makes me think that uh, as a university, this place has got it going on yeah. compared to other schools, at least schools in the states, um, that are attempting to do the same things. 
this has got a much more professional feel than anything I've experienced, and, and more so than the, the schools where I've spent a good deal of time teaching. We've got a very lucky blend. We're, we're a small university by UK standards, and that makes us flexible. It makes us adaptable. We have a senior management team that ultimately believe in what we're doing, and they see us as one of the selling points of the university, so they invest in us. And we have a whole range of staff, many of which have come from industry, and the rest have come from good academic backgrounds, which means that that fusion between the two has has got what we need as far as sort of getting people to the level academically and, and with the industrial skills as well. So it, it is like a, a happy marriage of things, which I think is quite hard in institutes as bureaucratic as universities. It's quite hard to invent, mm. you know, we're quite lucky. We started small, we grew this way, and that's been the culture all the way through. Um, if I went into another university and had to change what was there, I think there'd be much more resistance. Like, you know, practical courses are in different departments to digital courses. Like, they have different line managers, they have different budgets, they have, you know, there's all these barriers that, you know, they seem sort of you know, not that important, but when you're on the ground working in it, it blocks sure. it and it ties you out. If are you, you guys it. working with any proprietary software that, that the, the program has developed? Or are you working with commercial packages so, like, like 3D Studio Max, uh, Maya, Soft and so Maya, Lightweight, you know? Maya is the backbone of everything okay. we do. And then we reach out into <clears> specialist <throat> packages for, for software that is better for those areas. So sculpting is ZBrush, um, compositing is Nuke, like, but everything is going back and then normally coming back into Maya in some way. And that's the, that's the way everything goes through. Um, so we stay very much in line with what industry is recommending. We have um, industry advisory boards that um, set projects and feed back on what they are doing and what they're looking for skills in. And we adapt the course that way. Again, we're small enough to be flexible like that. You know, we can move the course content to react to a very, very fast changing industry across all sides so um, we're, we're lucky that way and with the staff staying on top of things and sometimes exhaustively yeah, going because the software into... changes in, in some cases weekly mm -hmm. and, we, and we do have to ask for um, you know I, it's about probably seven years ago now but I wrote a series of ZBrush lectures 10 lectures that I released and became out of date in three weeks and I had to <laughs> rewrite them <laughs> because the way that you did that with the next ZBrush version changed like, oh yeah 20 2021 has been through seven updates in yeah. three months. Yeah, which is you know it's yeah. good they've got their finger on the pulse, yeah. but you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes sometimes please catch up. <laughs> well, well, it's a very interesting point. Like, if we want to talk about that in industry, people will version freeze, so they will say this project starts in this version, it stays in this version. We do not move out. Of we this know version. it, and we can work. With we it know it. We can yeah. work with it. All our software works with it because yeah, and some of them are significant changes that. You, you try to use something in a new update that it's not backward compatible. Exactly. Is that brush notorious for it? Like, you know, so sometimes you get midway through a project, oh, update, wonderful. Like, <laughs> click on the button and then nothing works. <laughs> yeah. And it's terrifying. So, um, yeah, it, it's standard practice in the VFX industry to sign off a version of software for a, for a project and you don't change. So there are, um, you know, my 2022 is out, like, but... Deneg and some of the really big houses in London are, are working in Maya 2018 predominantly because that has been, you know, the, you, you've had service updates, you've had, you know, sort of bug fixes uh, again and again and again, and that is now bulletproof, you know, that, right. that software. And what, what you can do in the latest piece of software versus 2018 is there's some nice touches, 
you know, I mean, there's some nice little bells and whistles and things. There's nothing earth shattering. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you're a good artist, that's going to come through whichever software you're using. You know, mm -hmm. and you'll find all these arguments online on what's better, Max Meyer. You know, well, that's a great point that you just made. Right. You know, it doesn't matter what what right. version that you're using. It's ultimately it's just a tool. Your problem solving, it's, it's your creativity. It's the operator, not the software. Absolutely, and mm -hmm. software will help to a certain degree, but. If you have no creativity and very little imagination, it doesn't matter how yeah. phenomenal the software is and what it's capable of doing. Now, the, yeah. the, the exception to that is when you have very large groups of artists working together, because some of the pieces of software, like Maya, have an engine which is very, very customizable. So the, the, everything, the internal workings are exposable to code. You can take it and you can really make it do what you need it to do. Something like an open source piece of software like Blender, absolutely amazing package equally as good at producing things as an individual as Maya but as a team collaborating much harder to get that efficiency out mm -hmm. of it if that makes sense and that that is the only reason really why software like Blender isn't taking over at a top industry level like it's just the beating heart of Maya is built so well for these large companies to maximize all of their R&D is in it all of their histories in it you know, it might one day change, but I can't see it changing anytime soon. So that's why we teach that software here. But do I have a software preference? No, not really. And we try and teach to be like software agnostic, if that well, makes sense. Yeah. In sort of Oftentimes, you know, they're going to have to learn something that's entirely proprietary to the shop exactly. where they're working anyway. Yeah, is that which is terrifying if you teach them just to click buttons, because mm, yeah. as soon as those buttons change, all your understanding is gone, you're panicking, and you're not seeing the bigger pictures that are connecting all these different areas of the effect. So if you, if you learn the general, you know, the, the general state of what is going on and truly understand how is the data moving through the software, then when the software version updates or you are asked to use another piece of software, you're just like, okay, I know what the data is doing, where do I go for that? Okay, there, no problems, bang. You know, you, you end up, you can solve it, you can adapt. But yeah, if you, if you, click or if you learn to button click that's a, a very dangerous way as with everything you know as yeah. with you know sort of the, mm -hmm. you need to understand what you're doing well i think some of our listeners are going to go this is battles with bits of rubber how is how does this conversation apply to what we're doing or learning how to do with, with bits of rubber basically with bits of, <laughs> bits of rubber well yeah we, we did have a discussion this morning in our zebra to talk about um Things like the IMM brush, you know, you have those, you can slot in pre-made, you know, ears and noses and things. Is it, and is it cheating or is it well, there were, well, there were two and not harder? There ah. were two different discussions. There, there, was, there was the one of like just the sheer ability to be able to kit bash stuff together like you would with model kits. Mm -hmm. You just take a, a bunch of pre-made kits, reconfigure them in a different way. The act of doing that is to some degree original, fair play. And if you've got to populate a large scene quickly, that's a perfectly legitimate way of doing something. But there's also the, from a creator point of view, if you've been raised on clay and you have sculpted things hardcore out of clay and there was no uh, symmetry switch on there, you're so used to doing that that it, it kind of it removes something so from it to have that. But we 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 almost had like a kind of a, a, a therapy session. We talked through it. We, we, we got, talked through we it. Got to a good place. Yeah. Well, basically, we're kind of like you know, well, did Michelangelo cheat by using hardened steel chisels to carve his marble? 
Instead when he should have what used his fingernail. Exactly. So at some point, it's Gordon Ramsay supposed to make his own saucepans before he starts cooking to call himself a chef. Yeah. So it's, it's kind really of interesting. Where's the line? Yeah, you know. Line. So there is, there is obviously the the, 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 the benefit and efficiency certainly from from production. If you're doing something for yourself, it's different but from a production point of view. But also we kind of reason that if you just kit bash stuff and you can't sculpt in here, then that's different. That's like having music samples and then slinging them through a garage band and calling yourself a musician. Whereas if you are a musician, you can take those things and what it does is it starts you up here, but you're still going to do this much work. Right. Whereas before, when you did this much work, it's a, it's you were only getting to this point. point yeah, it? so it, it kind of expands you up. You know, at, at some point, um, you know, time is money. And if you can use the cheats in ZBrush to knock out a half dozen examples of a, a makeup design to get production to sign off on, in the time it would take you to sculpt one, maybe two rough bits in clay, then that's the thing. It's iterations, isn't it? Money because you're being more efficient. You're working smarter, not harder. Mm. And then you've already you're already in ZBrush. Then you can lock in that approved design as your reference for doing the practical sculpt that winds up getting molded and cast and applied to an actor. Sure. But we also figured out that there was something quite interesting in that um, people who are using ZBrush and more people are doing so now sculpturally and not even necessarily for film. Like, I don't think I'm going to be hired to design. To, I'm not a concept designer, but I like to sculpt. Mm. And so sculpting in ZBrush is useful because I don't need the physical space or the materials to block stuff out. Mm. I can iterate things and then I can either use that as a design to sculpt something in clay or I could print out a core of it or I could print it out as a thing. And so now I'm starting to use digital language and understand digital ways of doing things in a practical sense, which is quite nice because it sort of helped bridge that gap. I always wondered how that gap would get bridged and it seemed more like practical people are able to because printers are not that expensive mm. and because ZBrush is, you've got ZBrush Core and ZBrush Core Mini and even I can kind of sculpt something with it. So it's like... Do you know what I mean? It's, it's accessible in a way like... version of ZBrush yes. is not as outrageously expensive as it has been. It isn't, but, the, but, 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 if, but if, if Phil Tippett was to crack open ZBrush, it's the same ZBrush that I'm using. Whereas before, 30, 40 years ago, you needed a rotoscope machine to do what they were doing at ILM. Whereas now, you, in some degree, you can kind of render something in a beautiful... Do you know what I mean? And so you're able to do that in a way that you couldn't do before. So you're now the pressure, not the pressure, but there's opportunity to do things and you can, you can choose to do that yourself. Yeah, you when can we like, bought there are for that. years ago, um, before Maya was even, even out, uh, and it only ran on silicon graphics, yeah. actually it was when, when they had just ported it to PCs. And yeah. you know, at that time, if you weren't working on an SGI machine, you didn't know shit because yeah. it was like, uh, SGI is the only way. Where's SGI today? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, that version of Soft Image cost us $15,000. And we fast realized we needed an engineering degree to run it. Yeah. Because it, it was the learning curve. You think the learning curve on Maya is, I mean, uh, on ZBrush now is difficult? Well, we may as well just set fire to the money or flushed it down the toilet. It was it was crazy a stuff. Very very poor decision the, on our part. What what I think is happening now is the the programmers, the designers of these tools are becoming more aware of the perspective of artists. So they are writing them for artists to use rather than 
I would love all these options. So I'm going to have endless tick boxes and drop down menus and things that just confuse the hell out of everyone. <laughs> exactly like, my problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, pixel logic is a really interesting discussion itself because there is a lot of software out there that established the standard way that 3D environments worked and Pixelogic took it and threw it out the window. And they, they it's, came it's up the with Argos a very- It's the Argos thing, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, Argos have said, this is how shops should work. Yeah. You keep all the shit in the back. Yeah. You fill in a little thing and bring it. So, it's, and it's kind of, there's only Argos doing it this way. But what, uh, yeah, what's strange, you, you could be very good at Maya and lots of other software come across to, to ZBrush and it just throws you completely. And that's actually one of the troubles that I have with the, the, the VFX students who feel very confident with software, they'll start with ZBrush and they'll they'll actually get thrown because they're used to a template that isn't following. Whereas a practical person that comes across the ZBrush and doesn't really know that much about other software might actually well, just accept that's it. That's genuinely interesting. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it gives me some cold comfort to know that everybody struggles with that, Everyone that struggles. interface at first. Everyone struggles. You know, we were talking yeah, I'm, I'm kind of an After Effects junkie. Okay. And, cool. you know, it's until ZBrush, it was my favorite software because mm. there's virtually nothing you can't do in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and largely because it's got a very intuitive interface. You know, it's mm. like Photoshop plus time. Plus time. <laughs> and if, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very, it's it's very well done. Magical movement. Really done. Yeah. Um, yeah. With regards to the ZBrush, how long have you been using ZBrush in the visual effect, uh, in the uh, makeup effects and in, in the in a, in 3D SFX, SFX I mean, yeah. Personally and aggressively, I mean, there's, there's, I've been dabbling with ZBrush for about two years when you first kind of, I was like, Rich, I need this in my life. And then we fell out a little bit. Um, and like, whenever, I, I was fine as long as Rich was right next to me. Yeah, he left the room, things went very, right. Very good. <laughs> you're very good. Like, you know. what, what have I done? It's yeah. like, oh, just click this. Just click that. Control in. Yeah, I only found yeah, out yeah. recently. <laughs> there was like a Baron period where I'd poke at it and get mad and like, um, but I think it, it, and that, that's the barrier that I'm talking about. Like, yeah. it just isn't. It, it, it's sometimes a bit unintuitive, and there's so many ways that you can sort of break it. And well, you know, I, now your model doesn't move, or now it's frozen, or now this, or that. Like, so you know, with our with our lectures when we start, it it really is about just trying to get them comfortable in that environment because. If they can break through that barrier, there's so much. Yeah, there's so much positive. So there's definitely like a barrier that you pass through, and you're like, oh, it's always. So your anger will go away at some point. I've had some chats with you. I don't think he's ever going to not be angry at ZBrush. There are some things that I just need to let go. There are just certain things that seem like they should be the way that I say they should be. Like for example, if you have a selection of subtools. The subtitle you have selected is not significantly different in contrast to let you know you've selected it. I mean, there's a tiny little grey box around it. Couldn't, couldn't it just be like a <laughs> different <laughs> colour so that you can definitely see you've selected it? That doesn't seem like beyond the pale, that kind of thing. That's but but, that's, but that's, that's the whinging of somebody that's not in love with it because they've been so distracted by all the other lovely things it can do. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Once you, once you get past the, the kind of, the I can take a thing and make a thing. Yeah. Even if it's a simple thing, I, like, I, can, I can smash out a, a bust in three hours and I can manage my topology and it's not terrible and I can get it to already to either 3D print or, or kind of move on to a, another process. And I'm okay at that. I love the program. Like I, I did, I run a session uh, with my first years, for the first six weeks of this module, we did a lot of ZBrush in there and now I'm working with the second years, we're doing a trad sculpt and I got there and I was like, all right, there's no mirror tool. 
I've got to scrub both sides here. <laughs> and I, I kind of got mad at the clay because, you know, ZBrush is so, like you were saying before, the great thing about it is, you know, it's improved me as a sculptor so much in the last 12 months because I've done three times as many that's, sculptures. That's it. Like three times faster. The yeah. absolute core of why we drove to have it taught at Bolton because if you make something in clay, it can be wonderful, but say you've built the eye in slightly the wrong place, you are going to be attached to that eye emotionally. Right, you're going to, you don't want to, mm. you don't want to change that, you know. And that's a that's a serious I have barrier. I my students are afraid of because when we need to do big adjustments, I get my little my little yeah. prison <laughs> just get out near it. I'm artistically, I don't consider myself particularly strong, but if I see something that's right, I will understand that it's right. But normally I need to see that it's wrong a number of times before I get to what's right, yeah? Mm. So me with clay is, is, I find it very hard, but me with ZBrush, I look at it and go, it's wrong. Okay, so I've eliminated one way that this should be made. Move stuff around. No, that is also that right. Yeah. I've eliminated another way. Like, and you can do that very quickly in ZBrush mm. until mm. you lock down on, okay, now this is starting to feel how I want it to feel. And I think that's so important, especially as a student starting out in this field, that they have something where there isn't a fear of making mistakes. Yeah. You know, mm. you can save your file. You can save a copy of your file. You can back your file up. Zebra you can control Z. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can I, control I have to, I have to just jump in real quick. For, for <laughs> listeners who are not English by birth, um, Z means Z. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just fight with my wife all the time. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's, don't, don't apologize. It's it's more because I, I think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we we have that chat about um, ZBrush this morning. Um, uh, we were saying like some of the, the cool things you could do is like you could quickly knock out sort of texture tools. You could print mm -hmm. things that you might then mold in different materials because you know about molding and casting. Like mm. for example, say you're doing a. a, a lizardy creature and you wanted the scales you can make a series of stamp tools by sculpting or harvesting from nature or buying right. some tools and then make like five or six different versions print them all at the same time cast them out in something like a hard pt flex semi-rigid pt flex and then make a stamp out of them that yeah, has enough oh, give oh, to it yeah. and yeah. that would help you graduate you know that kind of thing you can actually practically bring in so use some of the skin texture brushes that that are available i like like the carlos um, Gomez stuff, you know, Pablander, um, that are really interesting that to do practically with a sculpting tool yeah. would take forever. But if you can make a little, take that, that um, texture brush and put it on a, on a piece and 3D print that, then you've now got a physical tool that's going to allow you to get that exact same pore texture Sure. That you can now do in a in a practical sculpt mm. quite rapidly. Yeah. And if, and if the scale of the pores are slightly wrong, very quick to go back, scale up. And the if source, they're not intense enough, again. you can increase the intensity. Absolutely. Yeah. You, just, you, know, you lose. talk about scale in ZBrush. Right. Oh, no. There are yeah. ways that you can get to it and understand it's back it. To the, they've got a but, 3D. 3D yeah. um, print hook now yeah. where you can set the scale before you export but yeah. other than that I've, I've exported stuff for jobs where um, I've sent it to a mate in CAD just like oh have a quick look at this file for me I'm going to chuck it into my slicer um, and he's gone 
Mate, it's 18 meters across. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, that's like a brush. Yeah. Gap the, fir the first thing we oh, did. Yeah, I did. I did one where that I loaded it into a 3D builder, which comes natively with Windows machines. And the thing was like five minutes. <laughs> 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 and it's totally tech and I load it in there. It's like, where is it? <laughs> I, can't, I can't see. When you drop it into your slicer for 3D printing, you're like, yeah. Is it not load? Oh, no, it's, it's a tiny little box. I've got a dead pixel. Yeah. 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 A dead pixel on your screen. It's, oh, that's my model. It's, it's very strange. And I, I do think they'll catch up with it. I do think, like... Because it's new, because you didn't have people making things digitally that were going to be within consumer yeah. level so use. That's the thing. It's industrial, yeah. yes. But when you're working alongside a package like Maya, which is so obviously scale, you know, orientated, quite often your work with ZBrush is going from Maya, bouncing out to ZBrush, doing adjustments, sculpting, doing that, and then bring it back into Maya. So often you're constantly in another package, which is giving you a very clear signal of scale. And I think therefore ZBrush just didn't emphasize scale. I, I, don't, I don't really know why. It is there in the export options and things. You can you can make sure it's the right size and adjust it, but it's a bit of a faff. Like, and you're probably going to get caught out by it a few times before you get it right. But um, when you say a few times, you mean every time. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I also what I really think is amazingly positive about ZBrush is the the quality of the mesh, how you have the topology of the mesh at the end of it isn't important that important if you're going to 3d print and you're going to do that stuff so some of the the technical barriers that will stop our very artistic vfx students shining at vfx is that you have to have a zebra sculpt and then you have to set it up with a topology that will make sense for the rest of the vfx process whereas at that point you don't really need to worry about it with with practical as stuff it can, yeah it, yeah as long as you're not going to kill your computer or your memory or, or, or something like that and, and that, I think, therefore, there's a, there's a nice earlier jumping off point that, that actually enables it to connect to the practical field more, more smoothly with less technical knowledge being needed. Mm -hmm. and, that, and therefore, I think people should be making the most of it, if that makes sense, because that barrier and that sort of setup you have to have in ZBrush is less precise compared to if that asset was going to continue down a VFX pipeline, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, more people will get involved with it that way and use it that way. I think we're just going to see more and more exciting I, I things come from now. Now is a golden time for this kind of stuff because it, you know, we're, we talked about this years ago when I was kind of training. I loved the visual, uh, visual effects stuff. I love making things in 3D because it's the, the power that some of these tools have. You know, there's no restrictions. There's nothing to slow you down. You know, once you've got the interface, once you can kind of you can speak that language, you know, as a creative, there's nothing to slow you down. But I was misholding the things. I'm a simple dude. I like to to be, have tactile contact. You know, I you know if I spent a hundred hours making something, you can bet your ass I want to hold on to it. You know, Preaching, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I call I, it I call it digital dust. Like where effectively stuff that I produce after a while it just feels. Just See, this is what's going to change things. I think is a lot of the things becoming available at a consumer level, like yes. the scanners, like the Revu, whatever, the Revu three, the, three, the, three, the, oh, the Revu Pop. Yeah, Revo yeah. Pop, we've you know, yeah, you know, that's yeah, it's about five hundred quid, and it's like. I'm sure it's not going to be the most accurate scanner, but it's probably accurate for well, most things that we need to get your head around it. Port texture, but, give you form, but the 15 gram won't give you the port texture. But also, I guess, um, I guess if you have something that, that's that dense, a scan, yeah. it's going to be a bigger file, right? Yeah. So when you're trying this out and playing with it, you probably don't want something too heavy because you're just trying to get the principle, right? Yeah, once you, yeah, yeah. And once you've got the principle, though, now you can work 
with denser meshes. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah, like learning to drive. You don't get given a McLaren F1 the second you pass your test when you're 17. That would be foolish. Do you know what I mean? Try, so, try one out downstairs. Try one there out. Is one but you're, but, uh, a lot of upside down kits. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but it's it's completely usable. That's the thing. You, you know, you could conceivably get that scanner. You and, don't need do a scanner. Something. You can do photogrammetry. So which I've been using. Uh, yeah. You can take a photo of the same model from multiple angles with a normal DSLR, and there is software that will build that mesh. Uh, Capturing reality is what yeah. I've been using. Ideally, yeah. Oh, I did, yeah, there's fantastic options out there. It's not as convenient as a scanner, but yeah. there are, and I think, I think with a scanner you have a more intuitive access point where like more people can just jump on that and do that. Where photogrammetry, you've now got off down quite a technical workflow where that might be a barrier. But mm -hmm. like it, it is incredible, as you say, what we are now able to do with with stuff that can be sitting in your bedroom. But that's like, where it's really going to change, isn't it? When 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 consumers can buy this and do it, that's where we see this big explosion <laughs> of. Exactly. Uh, pe people doing tutorials and showing you how to use this stuff and then it become commonplace. I remember seeing it the first time I'd seen a scan. I hadn't worked on it, but some friends were and it was the, the on Fred Claus, I think. It's a Paul Giamatti body scan. It was, you know, mm. incredibly useful. You could see that it was a scan. It had none of the signature sort of distortions that you get or the postures you have to hold yeah. to hold for a body cast. And it was like, wow. Well, um, you know. You ought to be careful there because I've worked on a Netflix thing where um, uh, this character has to effectively explode and we're working with the digi double and the second that the actor knew that he was being scanned and therefore the the digi double of the model on set as he's doing the performance right is very different from the scan we've got so there's going to be an anti-sucking in <laughs> algorithm to, to, to correct that yeah yeah so we, we, we modeled it all set it all up and then is said it? right here he is on set let's line him up and like that is a he's different person right. so yeah be a fragile ego algorithm that yeah. removes that like yeah, some kind of anti-sucking <laughs> So, are any of the kids we have in here now part of the visual effects program, or is this all SFX and makeup effects? I think it's a, a full-on invasion, effects. isn't it? This is a makeup have been doing digital work. Because I kind of like to yeah, some, throw some questions, get out. some opinions, and uh, get some questions going with you guys about your thoughts on what's happening at school and where you want to go professionally. Who hates ZBrush and who loves ZBrush? Do you hate ZBrush? What's <laughs> <laughs> passion? <laughs> because it's not sculpting, it's... it's, it's Anything, it's, 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 I don't get it. In my head, it doesn't make sense at all. I but but clay is it. good? You work with clay and plastiline? Yeah. That's okay? Yeah, but, but like, as soon as I get in front of the computer, the only thing I can do is probably search Google. Right. <laughs> so is it just ZBrush or is it computer software in general? Mainly all of them. I can use Photoshop, but very limited yeah. Photoshop skills. But that can be a real barrier because there are people that are drawn towards practical stuff precisely because of the tactile nature of it. Mm -hmm. So to remove that aspect of it can be like, do you know what I mean? It's like mo most people that join, you know, the Paris probably don't mind being in aeroplanes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So as soon as you change that basic premise, it's kind of... And you're always going to need a range. It's, it's going to be fine to not. Be able to work with computers if you go on. I mean, there's always going to be jobs in the industry that are available for people who, who focus that way with their skill set. I don't think this is a sort of something that everybody has to be good at, otherwise, you're going to somehow be a failure in the next generation of the industry. But it is a tool that we want everyone to be aware of, like because other people are going to be working with it, even if you aren't yourself. And if you are working on it, it might give you a competitive edge, like for a number of positions in industry 
you know, if, if a certain role comes in. So it, I think, to be honest, uh, just to skew things off a tiny bit and then we'll get back to the students, like, I, I program quite a lot of customised software for VFX. The three lecturers I work with can't write one line of code, but their suggestions are spot on because they've worked with me long enough to know what can be programmed and what can't be programmed. And equally here, even if you are not enjoying ZBrush, you're absorbing ZBrush, you're absorbing the experience of what people are doing with ZBrush, and therefore your suggestions will be compatible with people that could use a piece of software as a solution, if that makes sense. So you're not gonna make uneducated or ignorant decisions about a workflow because you'll still have an awareness of what, what software can contribute to that. And we that talked workflow. about this at, at Coventry, that being able to wear more hats well, even if it's the digital stuff's not what you want to do, being able to speak the same language mm. as the people do, there's going to be less chance of miscommunication yeah, absolutely. through the production pipeline. Yeah. So you're, you're going to be in a good position either way. Yeah. What about things like Procreate? Do you like drawing on a tablet or anything like that? I can do that. Do you I enjoy that though? Yeah, I prefer it where you can probably draw more than the 3D software, but I don't know, it's just... Do you think it's the extra dimension that's throwing you off? Yeah, I remember the okay. dino mesh and the, that stressed me out too much. We'll hang out this week. On the other side, we. Last week we had a, a special makeup student switch to VFX, right. so they've they've come onto the course and they've enjoyed the Seen VFX the side so much. That's what we that's what we try and do. We try and offer an environment where people can follow their passion. Where yeah. if if they do get drawn to the dark side or the digital side, <laughs> they they can go that way. They want and vice versa, and and you know that's what I think we we, we do very well. We give that opportunity. Also, I think that's the the best thing about what we do here, and I, no one does it like we do. Like Rich was saying before that, you know, we were very we, unusual sort of upbringing that, that's yeah. brought us to this point. But this, I think this point is such a valuable um, experience for students. You know, if a, a, you know, one of my guys who, you know, we thought of creature character mech stuff, if they want to do something that, that has digital augmentation, you know, a conversation with an expert mm. is you know, not even a department away. It's it's you know we cross over the road. We go, hey, Rich, what do you think yeah. about this? Yeah, that's a really good you know, point. It, it, it stops being that mystery thing. Yeah, I've yeah. got no access and, to it. And if a student does feel like actually I date this digital stuff, it's a real simple thing to just make that step over to a, a program that focuses specifically on this. We have movement between our programs quite a lot because you know I think at, at, at eighteen, nineteen, when when students are applying for programs like this, nobody knows. You know, it's such a, yeah, yeah. A, a, a kind of niche area in itself, and then we split back and fast moving. Niche, niche yeah. areas. So well, I, you know, I love it. Like you know, you get students wanting to try to do both tracks at the same time. We, we yeah. do get yeah. sit, sit yeah. in and yeah. sit in and lectures on the other side. Yeah. Generally, the courses are so intense that normally is is short lived by by second and third year sort of thing. But it's wonderful to see Blown people out. try. Yeah, yeah, because it is it is. <laughs> but you know, my own experience in in three D printing. I wouldn't have made the decisions on the intergalactic project I made if Rick hadn't shown me the 3D printers and Jack hadn't talked me through the setup you guys had and Ed hadn't spent that time from makeup. So, like, you know, I, I built up an awareness of the practical side just by the fact that we're in and around that, you know, the same space. And mm -hmm. I just love the way that the information naturally 
you know, I literally came over, learned about 3D printing, and then Rick and Jack were doing a few things, and they were like, okay, the mesh isn't quite working. I was like, oh, in ZBrush, you can just do that. Like, you know, and suddenly my knowledge fed back in and helped them. So it, it sort of just, it goes around in these sort of just wonderful circles where mm-hmm. as long as people don't bring any ego in, like, you all just accept what you're good at, accept what you're not good at, and learn from each other, and that's just the best environment, right? So something I, I thought was really interesting this morning when Todd was doing uh, the, the ZBrush demo, um, was that we were all talking through a few things that annoyed me or that we weren't sure about. We kind of talked about it as a group. And I think often when people play with ZBrush, they do so alone. Mm. And they'll do something until they meet this impenetrable wall or they'll do something. And you don't know how to even ask the question. I don't know what yeah. words to use to ask the question. I think it would be useful to have something where you go, you go through the process of making something. So somebody that sort of wants to use ZBrush but isn't very good at it does something and go, right, right here, and you have it on, the, on several monitors so everyone can see it, you go, can you see here that these are a quadrant, so these are triangles? Why is that different? And you could explain why. And well, do you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. And then you have like a kind of a group therapy session where you'd work through the little hiccups that do it, things. Is it's that what exactly what we do. That's right. what we, do. So we, we do a Microsoft... Can I come and do the call? We, <laughs> we do a Microsoft Teams call from this computer out to everyone in the room. So yeah. everyone's got a Cintiq and everyone's got the call. Now, obviously, they can see the work on the screen. So why are you doing the call? The reason is, is you can share their screen up to the main screen. So when you've got a call, you can say, if a student's got a problem, you go, do you mind sharing your screen? So they can click screen share, it pops up on the big screen, and then collaboratively we problem solve what that's, that barrier that student has hit. And sometimes that'll be 10 seconds, or you've just missed that button. Sometimes it'll be a couple of minutes of discussion. But the important thing is, is that every student realizes that every other student is experiencing the same problems. Like, you know, the same barriers, the same little hiccups. It doesn't feel quite so private hell yeah, anymore. you've got to just get that out in the open. Just get it out, get over it. Don't hit the dog on the way through. Like, and, um, you know, because it, it's those sort of things where you'll beat yourself up over it. You'll go, oh, I'm stuck on it again. Oh, it's really frustrating. And if you're by yourself and you haven't got that support structure, that's when the software defeats you. And yeah. actually, you are just one tiny, tiny step away from success, but you, you, didn't, you didn't see it. Whereas if you bounce something like that up onto the screen, everyone gets to share it. Everyone learns from that misendeavor or, or way of doing things. And collectively, we move forward. So that's, that's the idea. So that was part one. I think that was a, a worthy conversation. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad we got enough content for two episodes. Well, it was weird, wasn't it? Because we had this whole conversation, then we realized there was a whole bunch of other stuff we needed to talk about. So then we had a quick break, and then we just carried on, didn't we? And we, th- this was the same night that we were driving back. So it was going to be a long mm-hmm. day, but it was just like, yeah, but this is too good an opportunity to miss. We're like oh, no, it was, 30 of us uh, in a room. The energy know? was great. It was so much fun. It was really cool. Um, and it was nice to be in a room. I mean, the, the acoustics aren't great, but I've, I've done what I can to bring the volumes up and all that kind of stuff and, and make it good. But this, yeah. is, this is the whole point of this. There was a lot of, we had a lot of people. We did have a lot of people, but the, the whole point of this podcast is to record these great, you know, these conversations when and where we can. And this was important because we had all those students there and the tutors. And there, there were times where it was a very, very honest uh, kind of revealing conversation that, you know, and, and tutors were saying things that, People, well, people, yeah, students hadn't understood, heard and, and vice versa and it was, it was lovely it was a really nice nice time so um, hopefully yeah. that'll be of value to people it's, it's the, it was the kind of setting that I enjoyed when I was in school uh, because some of the best educational moments came outside of class yeah yeah when you are, when you can get your your instructors and your tutors in a in a casual more casual setting 
and just talk about the industry. Mm-hmm. And that's when these other things come out. Because there's just so much to know, and it, it's impossible for it all to happen within a curriculum. Yeah, and you know, the other thing as well is the fact that the, the fact that the tutors stuck around and made this happen. You know, they made space for us, and they found somewhere nice and big and made sure everyone that wanted to come could, and they were trying to drum up as many people that wanted to come along. And, you know, they were doing that in their own time, you know, after hours. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they obviously care a great deal about that place and what they teach. Uh, and and to sort of come undone like that, that and show that the 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 people on the course you know what they like and it, it's like there's nothing hidden you know what you get, what you see is what you get and what you get is pretty good so uh, it was really cool so I'm very happy we did yeah, that. It's a great program, great people. Uh, I felt honored to to be there for two days. Yeah, man, it was cool. It was it was a lot of fun. I hope I hope we get to do that again. Yeah, man. Maybe next year. Uh, that would be great. Cool. Right. So. I guess I'm done. I, I I can't think of anything else to waffle on about. My my mouth is uh, is dry. It needs yeah, whiskey. Yeah, no, we you know we we can we can prattle on. Oh, Santa Claus is coming. <laughs> is that the sound he makes? <laughs> <laughs> Those were his jingle bells. Jingle bells. Jingle balls. Uh, yeah. So if you've got uh, any questions, you know you know where to find us. Stuart and Todd at gmail dot com or. Leave us a, a voice message on the Battles with Bits of Rubber website. We love hearing from you. We certainly do. Appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Perfect. As always. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media. Thanks for listening.